0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to a special evening edition of the Run Your Mouth Podcast. Why is it that we're doing an evening edition of the podcast? I want to keep you guys on the toes. I want you thinking it's coming out here, then it ends up coming out here, then you show up to the workplace. I don't know. I don't really know what we're doing here. But anyways, I've got a whole bunch of news stories that I'd like to highlight for you people. There's all sorts of information that I think you should know before you go into your weekend. Very excited to announce tomorrow I will have Gene Epstein back on the podcast. Part two of the series, he's going to tell us all about that book he's writing. I'm expecting to uh, settle in for a nice afternoon with Gene, talk about inflation a little bit. I had a very fun conversation with him on the phone the other day. He was telling me about some things I was getting wrong. So, you know, hopefully we'll get some of that good old man, how dare you, type energy. I I hope to really pull it out of him, and we're going to have a blast. All right, let's get into some of today's news stories. Uh, First, what I've got for you guys is uh, video, Rand Paul. Rand Paul is exceptional at quite a few things. One of the things he's best at is it's like, if you're in a movie, he gets to play the part of being the one person talking about budgets and deficits and that kind of stuff. Everyone else, they just got to keep going. Hey, why don't we spend more money? And then he gets to be the one sensible person who goes, I think we're spending a whole lot of money. And every once in a while, When he gets to play this part in the play, as the person who goes, hey, aren't we spending money on some stupid shit? He comes forward with the best examples of really stupid shit that we're spending money on. So let's listen to a little bit of Rand Paul uh, telling us about some dumb shit that we're spending taxpayer money on.
1: About 50 years ago, William Proxmire rose in this esteemed body and told us about government waste. He called it the Golden Fleece Award. They were studying things like dating and love and what makes love, and we had these great scientific studies about love. These are William Proxmire's words from the early 1970s. He was a conservative Democrat. He says, I object to this study on love because no one, even the National Science Foundation, can argue that falling in love is a science, not only because I'm, sure that even if they spend 84 million or 84 billion, they would not get an answer that anyone would believe. I'm also against this study on love because I don't want the answer. I believe that 200 million other Americans want to leave some things in life a mystery. And right on top of the things that we don't need to know is why a man falls in love with a woman or vice versa. Stirring words, the Golden Fleece Award. I remember as a kid, everybody talked about it. It was in the newspapers. So what have we done to curb the wasteful appetite, the abuse of government that happens at the National Sounds Foundation since 1972? Not a damn thing. Here's one of my other favorites from William Proxmire's days. The FAA was named for spending $57,000 on a study of the physical measurements Of four hundred and thirty-two airline stewardesses. These included the distance from the knees.
0: (sighs) It's that moment when you realize you started the video at the not fun part, and that you thought you set the timer for it to start at the fun part. So then you start talking a little bit to fill in the boring part and hope that it gets to the fun part. So let's
1: billion dollars a year with the National Science Foundation. Is it getting any better? Are they doing a better job at overseeing their money? I don't know. This bill is going to increase their funding by sixty-eight percent. There's twenty-nine billion dollars in this bill. Forest, mommy,
0: letting us know that at least the sound works. And I concur. So it, it, the, the that American is a victory. That off the bat, the sound works, and I figured out the headphone situation.
1: So improvements
0: have this been made. This
1: from their sister agency, the NIH. But you know, we can't get started without talking about it. This is over eight hundred thousand. 000- All right, this is
0: twelve minutes, and who the fuck knows where the part I wanted to highlight was? So I'll just tell you what the part was. Apparently. There was a lot of funding going into giving cocaine to whales and seeing if the whales, once they were on this cocaine, uh, got hornier and fucked a lot more. And that was the scientific study. And it leaves me with a bunch of questions. Firstly, how do you get whale into a cocaine? Do you pull up your boat next to it? Do you do lines? The whale comes out of the water? Are you just pouring fucking coke right down that blowhole. And how much cocaine would you have to give to a whale for it to make a difference? Or maybe the whales get so used to it, they get excited. They just pull up, make a big old smile, and you start rubbing into the gums. And obviously, at first, probably that whale, probably, I don't even know how whales fuck. Like, do do they're mammals? Are they? Is there like a humpback style? Is that some move that I don't know about yet? Have I not gone out there and fornicated enough in the world to come across? However, what, what I know, doggy style. I've worked on the doggies. Is there a whale style? How are the whales going about this? But anyway, so they're they're putting on disco in the ocean, and they're they 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 were spending all this money giving giving coke to the whales to discover whether or not that would make whales hornier and and have more sex. Maybe the Japanese people were doing this because they want to hunt more whales. Uh, so, but obviously at first, you know, those whales are going to get after it. But what happens after four days of doing Coke when the male whale has to be like, Hey, this never happens to me. I swear, or he can't come. And then he just starts going all Moby Dick style, fucking up these, uh, these scientists cocaine boat. And if you're a scientist working on a cocaine boat, how much cocaine do you get to do? Cause that might be a good pitch to get kids into science. If, if in my science class in eighth grade, they were like, Hey, listen, you're going to get to watch whales fuck and do cocaine. I mean, I didn't even know what cocaine was. I didn't even know that whales could fuck. But I'd be like, you know what? This science thing sounds pretty interesting. Uh, Where do I sign up? How much science science am I going to have to study before I can start giving cocaine to whales? Plus, I bet, like, uh, that's pretty good for whale watching. I know that people take vacations to go whale watching. If you're on a boat and some scientists are giving coke to whales, that's that's probably the highest whales ever fucking jumped on day one. By day three, I bet they're kind of like just trying to sleep and like going around in circles and being like, this fucking sucks. All right, moving on. What else did I have for you guys? Uh, Ooh, look who's back. Fauci's back in action. Any explanation as to where Fauci went? Are they going to tell us? Did the guy have Corona? Did he have to sneak back into Ukraine to steal back some of, uh, some of the things he was doing out there? I want some answers. I mean, how does Fauci just disappear for a month? Maybe they'll just tell us, well, you know, I'm entitled to vacation too. I mean, even if the country's dying, I should be allowed to take a vacation. So Fauci's back in action and uh, let's give it a listen. Let's see what Fauci has to say after his time away. Maybe he's recuperated his strength. He realized that we don't need such strong Corona policies, or he realizes that Rand Paul's hot on his tail. He can't run any more experiments where he's giving Coke to whales and killing monkeys. Uh, So after taking this time, this vacation of being in Ukraine and, uh, you know, trying to cover his tracks and giving everybody AIDS, let's see what he has to say.
2: To many Americans, this feels like one of the better moments of the pandemic. The number of new cases, hospitalizations and deaths are all down substantially. And just about everywhere, restrictions have been loosened and masking is optional. But the U.S. is still losing more than a thousand people a day on average to the virus, a thousand plus. And as cases are seen rising in Europe and other countries, some experts wonder if there will be a surge here in just a few weeks. I spoke about all of this a short time ago with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the president's chief medical advisor. Dr. Fauci... A
0: short time ago. What, did they pre-record this before he died? Also, I love, because, like, uh, what, what's this new one called? The new stealth variant? It's called, like, BN1 or something. Isn't it amazing how you can take any three letters and scare the shit out of people? Uh, this new... We got a new variant. It's the PS7. And people are like, oh, fuck, not the... It's the TX3. It's the... VX five, not the VX five. Oh my God. Isn't it amazing. You just take any three letters. It's the five VX, not the five VX. I remember the VX five. And now you're talking about five VXs, but here he is Fauci. It's pre-recorded because, uh, you know, he, he was the first one to take the vaccines. Now he's fully turned into a bat. Now he's just flying around and giving people AIDS directly. Uh, but let's see, uh, let's see what he has to say.
2: Thank you very much for joining us. First question, where is the United States with regard to COVID? Uh, we know cases are rising in Europe, in China, uh, or even reports in New York City. Are we in for another wave?
1: Well, we can't predict uh, definitively about that, Judy. But one thing is for sure that we're still, as a country, going in the right direction with regard to the downward trajectory of cases, hospitalizations and deaths. The caveat about that is is that we generally follow the uh, European Union, but particularly the UK, by a few weeks, usually three or so weeks. And if you look at what's going on, for example, in the UK, when you combine the increased transmissibility of the BA2, which is a sublineage variant of the original Omicron, together with the relaxation of some of the restrictions like mask wearing and indoor concern about making sure people are vaccinated and then you talk about the waning of immunity they're starting to see an increase in case you believe this the motherfucker's
0: still talking about masks he did they, they basically they bring him out to play the hits he's like all your favorite classic rock bands he's only got a couple talking but it's, it, when the cases are high everyone's got to wear masks and if and, and then the, they need to take more vaccines and it's because they take less vaccines so they, the, the the things start getting low and if it's low, then you can enjoy yourself. But it's starting to get high again. So everyone's got to take the more vaccines and they got to wear the mask. It's like he only really has about seven talking points. And so if things are going well, uh, then they got to put him away. It's almost like there's a, a demon that pulls a, a drawstring before behind him. And so they can pull him back out when things start going wrong again for him to go masks. And and the cases are they're, they're, they're too high. We need them to get to a low, and, and now they're high. All right, we got a lot of activity in the chat. What are you guys drinking? I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself hammered off with of some whiskeys here. We got generic um, uh, profile name 650 coming through while I came into the stream at an awesome time, coked up whales. There you go. Uh, What else we got? Generic profile. It does go quick. Talking about the coke on these boats. Uh, Generic profile, 650. People are brain slives brain slaves. 2020 was an eye opener. And then lastly, all signs point to tyrannical lockdowns are on the way. I don't think they're going to get away with it again. I think people are fucking over this shit. I think if they, uh, are I'm going to give myself wrestling here. If I keep re- like, uh, you know, all right. One step at a time. I'm getting too distracted. No more comments to the end of the episode. That's it. You guys, uh, you guys have fun. You chat amongst yourselves. We'll look at comments at the end of the episode which is probably going to be a short one. I don't even think I have that much Many to talk Americans,
2: about. Doesn't that also like look
0: like uh, um, Biden's press secretary, but like in 20 years from now? Uh, so la- yesterday, if it was even yesterday, it might have been two days ago, but I was talking about how there was a uh, Twitter post about that the CDC changed the amount of childhood deaths. And I was saying I wasn't even sure if that was true. And here it is, validated a day later in Reuters headline, CDC reports fewer COVID-19 pediatric deaths after data correction. Let's give this a read. March 18th, Reuters, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported 966, 575 deaths from COVID-19 on Friday after corrected the data earlier this week, which reduced the death tally in all age groups, including children. The health agency in a statement to Reuters said it made adjustments to its COVID data data trackers mortality data on March 14th because its algorithm was accidentally counting deaths that were not COVID-19 related. The adjustment resulted in removal of 72,277 deaths previously reported across 26 states, including 416 pediatric deaths, the CDC said. The reduction cut the CDC's estimate of deaths in children by 24% to 1,341 as of March 18th. Now, here's what I'd like to point out. Every single time that anyone was like, hey, are these numbers screwy? Firstly, how do we know that there weren't other mistakes in the algorithm? And then this might be, by the way, way more flagrant because they're just saying that it's a reduction in childhood death by 24%, but we don't know when the algorithm made the mistake. There was a point in time when there were only 500 supposed deaths amongst kids in the entire country. So let's say the algorithm's mistake was in the first two months, and then for the next six months, you had politicians talking about, hey, we've got kids dying out here, and that's why kids still need a mask up in schools, and people would be like, hey, I don't know if these numbers are accurate. That doesn't sound right. And they go, hey, you can't question the scientists. Well, this is exactly why they need to make the data available so that people can question and invalidate it because as is proof here, they they are capable of making mistakes and they don't explain what the algorithm error is. How do we just let them get away with this? Doesn't that just sound like they overinflated it and that they knew that, hey, at any point in time, we could go, oh, it was a mistake in the algorithm. There was an algorithm mistake. Like you can blame anything on an algorithm error. How convenient is that? And then and and so moving forward, they should never be allowed to say to us, hey, don't question the science like, all right, well, what science? Can you give us the data? Hey, don't pretend like you guys don't make errors. Apparently, or is this based on an algorithm? Because clearly your algorithm makes mistakes. I mean, this is infuriating as a person who like, hey, you can't question the science. We got the best people in the CDC on this. All right, well, can we see that? No, you can't look at the information. You're going to have to trust us, but we don't make mistakes. Well, you do make mistakes. I mean, here it is. This is uh, as as firm as a retraction as anyone can see. They they make mistakes. All right, let's continue. America has been polarized over the mitigation measures the CDC recommended for schools during the pandemic from urging schools to be remote, require masks, and set up social distancing measures, and now advises that for most of the country, children should be in school and can be without masks. The number of U.S. children with COVID-19 rose sharply during the Omicron variant. Wave due to increased transmissibility and low vaccination rates amongst children 5 to 11. Who are el- right. It was because of the low vaccination rates, because we know how effective the vaccine is in that age group. Children ages 0 to 4 are not eligible for the vaccine within the United States. Okay. Uh, next article was from Newsweek, claiming that China had planned to invade Taiwan in the fall, that, that there is a alleged Russian intel league claiming that China was going to take Taiwan. And so let's listen to a Fox News segment uh, with uh, the general Jack Keen giving us the insights on a potential China invasion of Taiwan.
1: So you got alleged whistleblower claiming that Russia's war on Ukraine thwarted China's plans to invade Taiwan this fall. While those claims have not been confirmed, Taiwanese leaders say they'll be prepared for an attack no matter what. But are we helping like we should? Let's bring in General Jack Keane to discuss. General, does this whistleblower make you feel as though he's got good intel from what you know?
3: No, strategically, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, just think about it. They just finished the Olympics. Uh, they're heading towards the 20th National Party Congress in the fall, which is a big deal in the Chinese government process. And this is where they fully intend to enshrine President Xi for a third term likely it's indefinite and there is something funny
0: about fuck we were we were Oh shit i was about to invade a country the fuck russia are you kidding me i was about to take taiwan why are you fucking up my shit right now
3: and, and certainly everything is focused on on that event they're not going to start a war um around that event all right. at all now listen um, they're paying close attention to what's happening here. Certainly, they're they're noting NATO strengthening more unified. They're noting the EU coming together and and pushing some pretty hard sanctions on Russia. And they're going to look at that. Their number one trading partner is the EU. His strategic two islands the Kinmen Islands and see how the world
0: we're jumping we're jumping ahead a little bit to look at the uh potential strategic invasion of Taiwan let's watch for about 30 seconds and I have some
1: commentary reacts let's start moving some equipment there some armaments there have a greater presence there now in Taiwan the answer would be are they ready for any type of attack could we be doing things to get them ready
0: All right. So they say the big thing with Taiwan is that uh, most of the world's semiconductors are made in Taiwan. going to have a uh, semiconductor episode. I prefer a fully conductor. That's a dumb joke. Uh, We're going to have a semiconductor expert on the show next week to further explore this topic. But I don't understand if I was Taiwan, I would set up like I would make it like why can't other people make uh, semiconductors? Like if you're China, you can't just be making your own semiconductors Do Taiwanese kids have particularly small hands that they're the only ones that can be used for making these little tiny chips? I mean, what is going on that nobody else can be making these semiconductors? Here's what we should do. We just just send a whole shit ton of military equipment to Taiwan, get no other involvement other than that. But we can just give them a huge shit ton of stuff just so like China's like, "Ah, that's going to be a pain on our ass. And then you just rig everything that we send over there to blow up if China actually takes it over, including the semiconductor factories. So that way, you know, China's like, ah, shit, if we take over the country, we don't get any of these semiconductor factories. But I don't understand why China would need to invade Taiwan in order to get semiconductors. I understand why we don't have semiconductors in the United States of America. It's because we have uh, inflation and uh, we have, I would assume, I'm assuming, but I'm assuming that it's uh, the fact that we can't compete with these other countries in terms of wages. And so what we do is we just keep borrowing money and not actually making anything here and then socializing everything and just pretending like we can afford stuff. And then we keep wondering why there's strategic industries where we don't actually make any of the things in America and why we're so reliant on other countries. But then we keep lying to people here and going, nah, you can have $15 an hour and we can cover your health care." And then we have to keep doing things over there so that we make sure that everyone continues to use our dollar bills. Uh, and that's kind of the racket that we're in. Lie to people over here, tell them, hey, 15 bucks an hour, you can have whatever you need and then buy everything from other countries where we also force them to finance the trade deficits, but then you end up in these situations where you're like, "Ah shit, we don't actually make anything here." And if everyone got upset with us, we would soon realize that our skill sets where everyone's making these 15 dollars an hour and they're getting their uh, you know, all their free shit, we don't actually know how to do anything. So that's why we can't do it over here. But I don't understand why Russia can't get themselves some trade chips. And I also don't understand why Taiwan doesn't just rig all their factories to blow up and go, hey, why don't you try? Go ahead, invade us. You invade us, and all these factories are going to blow the fuck up. How do you like that? How come no one else is proposing these solutions? You need a creative mind like me on this. All right. And then you had people are getting in a hole in an uproar about Nancy Pelosi reading poems, which, firstly, don't read poems. Poems. No one's ever liked a poem. There's never been in the history of the world where someone got up and said, Hey, I've got this poem and I'd like to read it. And the crowd was just in tears and said, Oh my God, that poem changed my life. The insights of that poem. No one fucking likes poetry. Nobody. No, like there, there was never a time in human history where someone got up in front of a crowd and they read a poem and the crowd did anything other than go, ah, shit, I got to listen to a fucking poem right now. And then especially if the poem gets a little bit too personal or a little too dark or a little bit too cutesy rhymey, no one likes poems. If, you, if you've ever been in a situation your entire life where you got to fucking do a poem, all right, here we go. Let's uh, let's give a listen to Nancy Pelosi reading a poem to the good people. I think it's of Congress. Before I
4: introduce them, I, want to, I got this message this morning from Bono. And
0: And I love this angle where you can be as powerful as Nancy Pelosi and everyone's just eating like, ah, shit, we really got to fucking listen to her. All right. Well, at least the food's here so I can tone her out. And isn't it amazing that even in a situation as easy as this where she just has to read some dumb poem, she seems to be all fucking nervous. We're always,
4: whether we're in Ireland or here, whatever it is, Ivano has been a very Irish part of our lives. And he said this, he said, Oh, St. Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers, but that's not, all t- that's not all it takes. But the smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks. And the evil from, risen from, friends, from the darkness that lives in some men, but in sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear to drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky.
0: (laughs) How about that? So here's the other mistake she made. So first mistake she makes is she gets up there and she reads a poem. The other mistake she makes is Bono fucking sucks. You too. I never even really liked them, but fine. I guess they're a band, whatever. Maybe you like them. But as an individual, what did Bono do that he's got? Like, did someone in the Democratic Party give him the tip on Facebook? And they're like, listen, I'm going to give you this tip, but you know, you're going to become the wealthiest musician that ever lived. But from here on out, you got to play ball. So if we give you a call and we're telling you that we're putting together a propaganda piece where we're trying to make Fauci look cool, why do they Democrats? Is Bono still relevant to kids? Are there kids that are still looking at Bono going, oh, well, Bono likes Fauci. So I guess Fauci is good. Or, oh, Nancy Pelosi, she might be making all these stock profits, but she's cool with Bono. And so if Bono likes her, then I like her. I mean Bono, anyone here fucking like Bono? Bono sucks. All right, let's uh let's continue because then they're sitting there and they go, "All right, it's an annual tradition that we bring in some young sluts to dance for you." And so here you go. You get the young sluts they show up and uh You would think that if you were the members of Congress and they were getting like some traditional Irish dance, it would be a little bit less I guess slutty would be the word. Now, if you're a member of Congress and they isn't that just awkward, aren't you just like, ah, shit, like, can I just go to a strip club alone and not have to sit here at a meal and debate in my head what level of staring is appropriate? Because there's nothing worse than when they put this shit in front of you and you're like, am I staring too much? Like, you almost need a secondary pair of eyes, like a staff member in the corner to kind of let you know. Hey, man, I think uh, I think I think you're, you're you're staring a little bit too much. All right. I, I said I wasn't going to take any more comments, but let's take a couple comments. They're sitting right there. Uh, generic profile is saying that I should become the U.S. warlord for 2024. Hey, man, if it's a lucrative job. Oh, Heather Rivera comes through with an actual a great call here. Excuse me, but the love poem by Luis J. Gomez to his ex-girlfriend is a national treasure. And I have to say, that was one. All right. You know that sometimes when you're stuck in a situation where you're not allowed to laugh and so you end up laughing so much more because you're not allowed to laugh or someone finally cracks. It happens sometimes like when you're filming stuff and you're trying not to crack and then somebody cracks and then like everyone just loses it. Uh, I've i had other times where you're trying to hold in a laugh and like it literally hurts. I was working in an office and it was just me and the boss. And I'm supposed to be sitting there like just sorting spreadsheets. And I was like in pain trying not to laugh. If you've never. OK, Lewis J. Gomez is one of the funniest people ever. And one of the gifts of his funny. I, he's got a couple gifts when it comes to funny. One is he can get cartoonishly angry in a way. Uh, which I've never seen any comic like this in the world where he can just yell at an audience and have the audience laugh at him kind of scolding them. Uh, the other thing is he's willing to put himself out there in a way other people are not. And so he showed up with uh, a poem that he had written. You guys have to find, there's there's nothing I can do to describe this that's better than just going to look it up. They played music in the background. It was uh big J Okers. I mean, I haven't listened to that thing in six or seven years but it's the it's the hardest I've ever laughed from any particular uh from any particular piece of content, and I remember sitting there in that office just trying not to laugh while my boss was there and just like snorting out the beverage like I was like crying trying not to laugh. Okay, um, Forest Mommy with makes me hate poetry even more. I know, and you would have thought, hey, I I've I'm already at peak hating poetry until you see Nancy Pelosi reading poetry. And you're like, I didn't even realize that poetry could be worse. You thought that they're like, like you thought that poetry and everything about it sucked as much as poetry could possibly suck. And then Nancy Pelosi comes around. And you're like, oh my God, I wasn't, I didn't even realize. All right. And then we've got uh Poe Dench stoner. Uh, so no poetry, mommy. I don't know if that was a question. I don't know if that was a comment. All right. We got a couple more topics to address. Important issues. Here we go. I enjoyed this one. This is from the Week magazine. European politicians push for extending Nobel Peace Prize deadline to nominate Zelensky. Here, let's read a little bit of it. European politicians are pushing for the Nobel Peace Prize deadline to be extended so Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and the Ukrainian people can be nominated. Now, if it's a peace prize. Shouldn't you nominate a dude who managed to avoid a war? I mean, this guy, sure, maybe he's honorable and noble now and he's doing everything he can to protect his people, but he still got into a war. I would think the guy who was like, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger man and I understand that you don't want us to be in NATO. So I'm not going to, I would think that that's the guy who would get the peace prize. The guy who would look ahead be forward looking and going, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my own interest because I want to avoid a war. I would think that's the guy who gets the peace prize not the guy who ends up aligning himself with the country that's going to put in missiles and piss off the other guy and then refuse to back down and then end up in a war. Isn't that something that you would lose the peace prize over? There must be someone out there who managed to avoid getting into a war. And then we give him the prize. And then other people are like, hey, I want this prize. What do I do to avoid wars? And then maybe that guy can teach classes. He can show off the prize that he got uh Putin shared with Turkey this is also from the week magazine and sometimes you know I pull information out of my ass I say it every time I pull information out of my my ass and then I'm shocked by how accurate the information that I pulled out of my ass is so the other day I was describing Putin's path to victory and I believe what he was looking for which is hey I'm going to p- keep a little bit of eastern Ukraine uh, the NATO is going to, you know, Ukraine's going to demilitarize and say that they don't want to be a part of NATO. Everyone's going to turn around. They're going to buy my oil. They'll do something to give me a slap on the wrist. And that'll be the end of the whole situation. So let's read, because apparently Putin had a conversation with Turkey, he told him exactly what he's looking for. So here we can read exactly what Putin is looking for in this endeavor. Putin shared with Turkey's president, his demands for Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin called Turkish President Recap Tayyip Erdogan on Thursday to share his demands for Ukraine, and a close advisor to Erdogan said he believes, I have no idea how to pronounce world leaders' names, but let's continue, let's just imagine that I'm right here, said he believes Ukrainian President Vol. I'm just going with last names to keep it simple, Zelensky will be open to some of them, Erdogan has been in contact with Russian and Ukrainian officials throughout the invasion of Ukraine. Kalen, an advisor to Erdogan. I feel like I'm reading something out of like a Lord of the Rings novel at this point. Like if you were reading and then you were the Aldermeyer towns of the footlors on the hills of Valdemeyer. All right. And his spokesman listened in on the call with Putin. Let's continue. Here's the actual good information. Kalen said Putin sounded clear and concise during the conversation and had two categories of demands. Ukraine could meet the first four rather easily, Kalen said. Ukraine would have to stay neutral and not apply to NATO. Kalin stated, and would have to undergo a disarmament process and protect the Russian language in the country. Ukraine would also have to agree to go through denazification. Zelensky is Jewish and had several relatives die in the Holocaust. Asking for the government to go through denazification is deeply offensive to Zelensky, Simpson wrote. But the Turkish side believes it will be easy enough for Mr. Zelensky to accept. Perhaps it will be enough for Ukraine to condemn all forms of neo-Nazism and promise to clamp down on them. Kalen was much more vague when describing the more contentious demands, only saying they involve separatist areas of eastern Ukraine and Crimea. The assumption, Simpson wrote, is that Putin will say Ukraine must give up territory held by separatists and formally accept that Crimea, which was illegally annexed in 2014, is officially part of Russia. There you go. That's all we need to end this thing. We don't want to escalate it. We finally just go, listen, you can keep Crimea. We recognize that's yours. You can have these areas in eastern Ukraine. Uh, We are, you know, we understand that, like, you're going to have to give Putin some sort of an out. If you don't want to escalate it, you're going to have to give the guy an out. And you might go, holy shit, this is the worst thing ever. We've incentivized people to go into uh, other countries and try and take their shit. Uh, but at some point, you're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to play ball. You're going to have to give the guy something, so maybe you could start spinning the story the other way. You can start getting ahead of it and going, Eastern Ukraine was always Russia. We, always, we actually called that West Russia. Who was ever calling that Eastern Ukraine? I got a textbook here. That was always West Russia. All right, moving on. What else we got here? This was in the New York Times today, and they were talking about how people on the left, the more on the left you are, The more extremely liberal you are, there's a direct correlation between being extremely liberal and extremely frightened with COVID. The more liberal you are, the more people seem to be concerned with COVID and wanting things like mass restrictions in schools. Whatever you affiliate both with being extremely liberal and being extremely concerned with COVID, there's a direct correlation between the two things. For those of you who are watching here, you can look at this. Uh, For those of you who are listening, I will link in the slides. You can take a look at this fancy chart. Uh, Okay, let's read a little bit from this article, and I am jumping around within the article a little bit, but that's what we do here. A cautious approach to personal safety has big benefits, where you're trying to figure out why people who are extremely liberal seem to be more concerned with COVID. It has helped popularize bicycle helmets, for example, in the case of COVID. Very liberal Americans have been eloquent advocates for protecting the elderly and immunocompromised and for showing empathy toward the unvaccinated. Yet the approach also has downsides. It can lead to people to obsess over small, salient risks while ignoring bigger ones. A regimented childhood with scheduled lessons replacing unstructured neighborhood playtime may lead to fewer broken bones, but it does not necessarily maximize creativity, independence, or happiness. When it comes to COVID, there is an abundant evidence that most liberal Americans are exaggerating the risks to the vaccinated and to children. But trying to eliminate COVID risks and allowing the virus to distort daily life has cost, too. That's why much of Europe, which is hardly a bastion of Trumpism, has stopped trying to minimize caseloads. The American focused on COVID dangers, by contrast, has caused disruption and isolation that uh, isolation that feed educational losses, mental health troubles, drug overdoses, violent crime and vehicle crashes. These damages have fallen disproportionately on low income black and Latino Americans, exasperating inequality in ways that would. I can't see the last line here. Last paragraph. Rather than eliminating the risk of COVID, you've got to manage the risk. Elizabeth Hal Bradley, a public health expert and the president of Vassar College, told me recently, if you really go for minimizing the risk, you're going to have unintended consequences to people's physical health, their mental health, their social health. And so now that we're willing to have a conversation about unintended consequences, can we talk about the unintended consequences of censorship and that we could have recognized all of these issues six months ago? Six months ago, if you were talking about the unintended consequences of these dumb fucking COVID policies, you were an evil tyrant who was trying to kill grandma. You were probably a Nazi. You were probably sucking Trump's dick. You're probably a white nationalist. You're probably getting together with your other friends and you try and make plans for kill governors. You're probably an incel. You probably live in your parents' basement. You probably never had any success in your entire life. You probably don't have a job, and that's got nothing to do with the fact that you were fired for not wanting to get vaccinated. You're probably just a fucking fat fucking loser. And everyone who ever, ever met you hates you. And you're a crazy individual. And now all of a sudden the New York times can go, Hey, if you're overly cautious, you know, there's unintended consequences that kids wearing masks don't learn as well. And they're miserable and they want to walk off the bridges. And so now all of a sudden we can talk about the unintended consequences of, uh, well, why couldn't we do that six months ago? Six months ago, if you're doing that, you were questioning the scientists. So I'm just saying, why don't we get ahead of this for the next time and start talking about the unacquen- unintended consequences of censorship and that all these opinions. I'm like listening to the show is like living in the future. You're going to get all the information information that other people don't get for another year from now. Now, I haven't quite figured out how you can profit on this information. Maybe we should stop talking about news and politics and just go into stock picking, or I can start telling you everything that's going to be worth more than six, because I'm a fucking prophet. I mean, we're or the, the show is prophetic. I mean, you're literally living in the future if you're listening to the show, that the information that you're getting now is going to, all, it'll all be verified at some point. It's going to get there. On that note, though, Ivermectin, it's uh, reported by the Wall Street Journal, didn't reduce COVID-19 hospitalization and largest largest trial to date. I will refer you guys. I did a good piece in my misinformation spectacular, still available on YouTube, Robbie the Fire, all one word. I uh, my, my my throat's getting dry. I don't know if Ivermectin works. I'm not that intelligent. I can't tell you if it works. I have no idea. I was wondering, why don't we do some studies just to figure out if it does or does not work? Because you got people like uh, Malone and that Kennedy guy saying that we could have prevented like 90% of all deaths if we were using the ivories and the and the hydroxychloroquines and the early preventions and that Fauci is responsible and is a mass murderer because we weren't using these. That's what the people are saying on the extreme side. And then on the other extreme side, it's, uh, hey, it's dangerous and reckless to let people think that ivermectin can help them because people take it in large amounts and, uh, you know, they're going to be squeezing horse pace all up in their mouths and they don't realize how much bigger horses are than they are. And, you know, it's dangerous for your health. So now here comes the uh, Wall Street Journal letting you know that, in fact, they've done their homework and COVID-19 hospitalizations and large ter- uh, does not work. Now, we've had Steven on recently, the last time one of these studies came out and he said it was not a large enough study. I don't know if this is the same study, because like I said, we live in the future. So it could be when we reported that in a month ago. This is first getting to the Wall Street Journal. Now, let's read it. The latest trial of nearly 1400 COVID-19 patients patients at risk of severe disease is the largest to show that those who received ivermectin as a treatment didn't fare better than those who received a placebo. There is no indication that ivermectin is clinically useful, said Edward Mills, one of the study's lead researchers and a professor of health science at Canada's McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Dr. Mills on Friday plans to present the findings, which have been accepted for publication in a major peer-reviewed medical journal at a public forum sponsored by the National Institutes of Health. Ooh, NIH is behind this study. Interesting. Okay. Dr. Mills and his colleagues looked at 1,358 adults who visited one of the 12 clinics in the Minas Gerais region of Brazil with COVID-19 symptoms. The patients all had positive rapid tests for SARS-CoV-2 and were at risk of having a severe case for reasons including a history of diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, or lung disease. First question is, uh, so is that a good sample if you're dealing with all people that you expect to have a severe reaction? Maybe, maybe, I have no idea. Let's continue. Here was what caught my eye more than anything else. The researchers prescribed half the patients a course of Ivermectin pills for 3 days. Now I'm no doctor, but I seem to remember taking it for 5 days. Was anyone if you go and you follow the American protocol from like American frontline doctors are they telling you to take it for 3 days? And if you're already not following that protocol of taking it for 5 days, which I believe I did, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and it wasn't just taking the ivermectin. There were like other, I think uh, there were some other, you know, just basic like uh, vitamins and shit that they had you taking with it. And then I believe it's also a factor of how soon after your diagnosis you're taking it. So I'm just saying there's some other variables here that seems to me like this is not rock solid evidence to the fact that ivermectin doesn't work. Let's continue just reading the end of this paragraph. The other half received a placebo. They tracked whether patients were hospitalized within 28 days. The researchers also looked at whether patients on ivermectin cleared the virus from their bodies faster than those who received a placebo, whether their symptoms resolved sooner, whether they were in the hospital or on ventilators for less time, and whether there was any difference in the death rates. For the two groups. All right, I think that is it for this evening. Tomorrow, I'm gonna have an awesome episode with uh, Gene Epstein. I hope uh, you guys hang out for it. And uh, let's take a couple more comments, and we'll call it an evening. An evening. P.S. Trump, I prefer Nobel Peace Prize Peace Prize winners who don't fight wars. Oh, did Trump say that? Look at that. I guess I'm I'm I'm, I'm now I got Trump talking points on the show. Forest Money. Yes, please money advice from your people, please. We'll have to find some more successful Jews to come onto the show. Well, Gene Epstein tomorrow with money advice. Uh, So there you go. His money advice is going to be buy tickets to the Soho Forum and buy his wife's art, which uh, I was in his apartment and his wife does have some fairly incredible art. That is our show. Enjoy uh, the rest of your weekend. Back tomorrow afternoon with Gene Epstein. Probably off on Sunday and back on Monday or Tuesday. And, uh, looking forward to steamboat. I know a lot of people have hit me up that they're going to be out there. So we're going to ski town fucking party. Hopefully after the second show, after Saturday night or what nights am I skiing? I don't know. Whatever night I'm not skiing that, I mean, day I'm not skiing. It always sucks when you go to the ski mountain, and you party. So I mean, I've mean i yet to have a night where I partied so hard that I didn't wake up early enough to hit the slopes when there was some fresh powder, but it is pretty fucking hilarious when you travel like, you know, eight hours to go to a ski mountain. And then you just end up getting fucking hammered and not wanting to ski, which you could do anywhere in the entire world. But maybe it's prettier. Maybe you get to look at your mound. Your, 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 or maybe that showcases your commitment to drinking when you're like, I. even when I go to these areas where there's other activities, I'm, I'm committed to this other activity. All right. That's it for tonight's broadcast. I am. Uh, that's it. Bye.